4: ymbiotika dot com.
0: And now, move the sticks with Daniel Jeremiah
2: and Bucky Brooks.
0: What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky, back with you. Buck, how you doing, man?
5: Man, I'm good. Coming off a great uh, football game last night, the national championship game was outstanding. Uh, even though it was a bit of a defensive battle that we hadn't, I seen enjoyed it though, man. In Did those games, No, nah, it was. Look, it was really exciting. It was exciting in a different way because the tension was there the game was tight in the fourth quarter we got a chance to see some plays we got a chance to see some big time players Mm -hmm. um and that's what you want to see in those moments i that's the part of the bowl season and the playoff that is evaluated you like to see how guys perform in these big moments and i think there's a lot to take away from that game last night
0: yeah and i look from a scouting standpoint it's it doesn't get better than that because there, that's apples to apples. That was an NFL game. Those that was Oof. NFL players everywhere. And if Big you can time. play and perform in that game and that against that group, then you're like, okay, this NFL dude, man. Especially you know, matching the physicality there in the trenches. Those are, I mean, that was fun to watch. And it's easy scouting when you when you watch it.
5: Yeah, easy scouting. But I think DJ, you're like me. Um, Team builders is always fascinated by how teams are built, regardless of the sport, whether it's basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever it is. But watching that game, I just found myself fascinated by watching these two teams and two teams that appear to be head and shoulders above the competition this year. And the first thing that stood out and we've talked about it just the sheer size, speed yeah. and athleticism of both teams, the body and, types. I mean, just look, man, there was, there was a time where they had an end zone shot and you're facing Georgia's defense and all those guys are standing up at the line of scrimmage. And you are just like, my goodness. Like, yeah. Talking about getting off the bus, big team, big physical, um, team and just how fast they were. And I think the other thing that stood up, and it, it always kind of stands out to me in these games, is the speed and the physicality. Mm-hmm. Like, in those games and watching the playoff games, you're not going to play trick finesse football. Like, you have to Good job, out. good job, Matt Paul. I know, come, come on, there. man. I'm not going <laughs> like, you're to. <not>, you're, <laughs> not, you're, not, you're not going to, um, like, smoke and mirrors your way to a national title. Like, you have to be able to play big boy football. You have to be able to have uh, the ability to control the trenches on both sides. You have to be able to hit people with force. You have to be able to tackle on the perimeter. I was really impressed with that. And I think for one of the few times, and I thought it was telling in Saban's handshake with uh uh-huh, Kirby Smart, he just thought about, hey man, you kicked my tail in the fourth quarter. DJ, you don't see, you don't see a, a physical manhandling of Bama like that. And mm-hmm. so to me, I was like, Yeah, who whoever you are, whatever team you're building you have to build with an eye towards both of those teams and if you're not building where you're committing to getting big guy big dominant guys in the trenches that look like those teams it's going to be hard in these one and done propositions to deal with a team that has that um has that in in, in, on, on the
0: roster you can't deal with it so here was a moment to me that i kind of uh I just kind of marked down. It'll be something we'll talk about in the run-up to the draft. But this, to me, was a sign individually of two players, but maybe more from a holistic standpoint of a program. I don't know if you – you know they talked about it, I think, on the broadcast. But uh, they're down in the red zone, Georgia's defense, and they've got a linebacker who's going to be probably a third-round pick who can really run, Channing Tindall. Mm -hmm. And he busts the coverage. And N'Kobe Dean has to cover it up. He goes over there and and makes a play, and it's incompletion. And N'Kobe Dean – jumps Tyndall after the play he gets right in his face and he's screaming at him Mm -hmm. um and I'm like okay that's one thing he shows you kind of the accountability and the leadership Tyndall's standpoint he took it he didn't he didn't push him back he didn't fight he didn't have Mm -hmm. some big ego it's like hey he made a mistake he took the instruction and it wasn't maybe a, it was a next series or a couple plays later. He makes a huge play. Tyndall makes a huge play. Mm-hmm. And the Kobe Dean's first over there to dap him up and love him up. And I thought, you know what? That shows you a culture that they have there of leadership, of respect, of accountability. Uh, I mean, it was all kind of encompassed on those two plays for me.
5: Yeah. Take it even um, beyond that. Uh, after the game, Kirby Smart was talking about, you know, the loss and Uh, they were asking, how did you get them ready after the loss? And he had said right after the game, like, hey, sometimes a loss allows you to refocus, reset. You now can kind of hone in on the warts that you have and kind of make it all better. But then uh, the players talked about the conditioning because they did get gas in the SEC title game and how they did a little extra, extra film, extra work, in those things. And to me, both teams, ideally in a team game, you have to have three things, commitment, accountability, and trust. Mm -hmm. And DJ, the things that you pointed out, the things that I'm talking to, the commitment level is being committed to do the extra stuff that's necessary to win games. The accountability is not just players and coaches being accountable to one another, but it's the player, the player accountability. That's when your team goes to the next level. And if you have people that are committed and accountable, then you begin to build the trust. And the trust comes from when you hear Stetson Bennett saying, I knew that I would not let my team lose after I messed it up because I knew that our defense would hold it down. And I needed to make that that trust, that bond, that connectivity really matters. And I think when we're looking at these teams and if you're building a team or whatever, commitment, accountability and trust, those things, those principles always relate. And they're always present
0: in championship team. And you start with the talent, right? You got to have the talent. And then there's a lot of teams with talent. But those are the things that kind of separate those talented teams. And that was what a fun game, though, man. I, I enjoyed it. I know uh, somebody else who enjoyed it is Joel Klatt, our good buddy uh, over at Fox Sports, who is the uh, color analyst on their number one team there with Gus Johnson, has seen you know just so many great games this year. Um, and really one of the one of the best in college football at discussing this stuff. He had a uh, a broadcast. I know you got a chance to see a little alternate uh, broadcast last night. Um, so we're going to bring in Joel here to visit with us about everything he saw in that game. See if we uh, see things similarly. Uh, so we're going to bring in Joel Klatt right after this. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring...
2: T-I-K-A dot com.
0: All right, Buck, he's here. Our good buddy, Joel Klatt, uh, Mr. College Football over there at Fox Sports. We love him. He's a good friend. And Joel, before we even get to our conversation, this is something me and Bucky just did before you came on. I want to see how connected our brains are here. So pen and paper, okay? okay? I want you to write down after watching that championship game last night who the three most impressive players were on the field. So you can put... You know Bama, and then the number, or and then put Georgia, and then the number, numbers. So however you however you slice that up, but the three most impressive players on that field last night, and I want to see if we have any crossover.
6: All right, uh, and I am I'm done.
0: Okay. All right, so I don't know if you guys can see mine. I'm gonna see if you guys had any any if we have the same here at all. Can you see that? Uh, I see thirty one and thirteen, and thirteen. Any crossover? Well, I've, so I've got the two edge rushes from Alabama I thought were the best two players in that game. I know they lost, but 31 and 15 are freaks. And then I, I thought the tight end from Georgia well. was on there. I've got 31
6: as well, Will Anderson. I thought okay. he, uh, he was – listen, I. he's pretty He's pretty freak. amazing. He's, he's a total freak. If he was coming out in this draft class, I think he'd probably be the number one overall
0: – He'd be the zero pick. He'd be better yeah. than the number one pick. Oh, yeah. We don't even talk about it. <laughs> go to the next. Card's <laughs> already in.
6: I'm with you. I, I like Dallas Turner. He's 15. Yeah. I actually put nine for Alabama because I thought Bryce okay. Young without weapons on the outside was throwing the 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 throw before the pick to end the game was yeah. unreal. Like an mm-hmm. unreal throw. And wide receiver does him no favors. The detail, by the way, and we'll get into this later. I'm a, Bucky, you said you watched my watch party last night. If I'm broadcasting a game, I generally stay pretty positive. When I'm just watching a (laughs) game, I am grumpy, man. I get grumpy. I was so (laughs) mad at some of the execution. Just the lack of details from the Bama wide receivers cost them. They're going to watch that film and puke. Those guys, granted, they were young and their guys aren't out there. But anyway, so I had Bryce Young because I thought he was – Standing up, even with the a corner
0: guy. route, by the way, the corner route that he put that literally he placed in the hands while getting hit oh. in the teeth. Oh. And the guy went right oh. through his hands. I like, to lock through the tight ends, That was. Yeah. Oof.
6: And then I've got, um I've got N'Kobe Dean for Georgia.
0: Okay. Yeah. 17. Yep. That's good. All right, Buck, did you have any, do you have any of the same hair? What do you got?
6: Uh I had 31. I had yeah. an asterisk by
5: 15. I had number eight for Bama. Uh Because yeah. he, he was making hairs. a ton
0: of plays. Yeah. Yeah.
5: And then, you know, it's funny because, like, uh, hey, I'm feeling numbers. I'm always like, wait,
6: what number? Because all I think about is their <laughs> names.
0: No, yeah, no, we're numbers. Scouts is numbers. We don't even figure out the names, unfortunately, until we actually have to get on TV and talk it, it is, about them. But we're is, talking with each is, other around the so league. It's like, Chris Hey, Maris. have you seen 17 from Georgia? Yeah, man, he's a player. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and then and it's funny because um,
5: my eyes kept looking at doggone James Cook. Because we oh, had him we had him at a we had him at a Nike event. He might not have been the greatest, like in terms of being complicit with all the things that we were demanding. <laughs> but man, dude has game like Dalvin Cook's younger brother, like he has he got some sauce to him. And he helped him when he broke out. That was a game changer when he broke out on that long run. Totally.
6: Uh I, I like the fact that he gives you a little something in the passing game. Yeah, yeah. Know, as a quarterback. Great. You can run between the tackles. You're a great runner. Like, you gotta help me in the passing game to be a really impact player. And I think James does that. So, I like that a lot. Man, I was throwing some serious shade at Stetson Bennett for like three oh, quarters of that game. I was
0: texting you. I was on a text chain with you last night. I was I crushing did. him in the first half. I was glad I didn't have to be public with that. It was brilliant. Right.
6: Right. I'm just like, I'm crushing the kid. I'm like, when are we gonna see JT Daniels? Um I oh, Listen, Georgia won uh, in some degree, and uh, despite themselves, um, mm-hmm. they did a lot of things wrong, which you don't normally beat Bama when you do that. so they're very they should be very thankful and they're fortunate that Jamison Williams got hurt and they didn't have Mechie over there because I thought that the game, the game came down to the fact that Bama didn't have skill position players that were detail-oriented late. They just mm-hmm. didn't have them. And I didn't love Bill O'Brien's uh, game that's, plan. That's
0: Locker. what I want to get to. That's what I want to get to because adjust, dude. You don't have your wideouts. You've still got it. You've got a gifted offensive line. You've got a 220-pound fresh running back back there. Run the ball, dude. Just take the, take the game out of the hands of these young receivers. But not only that,
6: guys, it's <clears> – because <throat> it felt like – and I can't stand it when play callers do this. They run to say They ran. And then it gets stopped it's, and it's just like the most basic zone mm-hmm. play right in the teeth of a great defensive front. There's there's no misdirection. There's no formation movement. There, there's no ability to hold backsides. They just like the, And then they're like, well, we can't run against them. And then they just start pitching all over the place. That's what it felt like, like second to last drive. He runs on first down, goes nowhere. And then it's just like, OK, we're going to take two deep shots, low percentage throws without our best wide receivers. And then pump the ball. I was like, what? Like, what type of a series is that? He continues to struggle, not to just bash on Bill O'Brien, but if Steve Sarkeesian is the offensive coordinator for Alabama, this is a different story because he has movement to his formations. How Mm -hmm. many times are we going to see Alabama get inside the 10-yard line and struggle this year? It's why they lost to Texas A&M. It's why they struggled again last night having to settle for some field goals. Why? Because he refuses to move the formation, get into bunch set, use picks against man coverage, use leverage against man coverage. He just says, like, we're going to drop back and, like, win one-on-one, and that's not always going to win when you're playing a roster specifically as talented as Georgia.
0: Don't forget, though, you do have the their best offensive play of the night, which is down in the red zone. Just have your tight end two-hand shove the defender uh, and <laughs> launch him 10 feet onto his back and turn around and catch a touchdown with a no-call. By the way, the, the, the back 12 would have thrown allowed? seven yeah, in the Pac-12, there would have been seven penalty flags. You would, there would have been more flags than officials <laughs> on that play if that was in the Pac-12. Yes,
6: the sideline official would have just launched a flag <laughs> from the sideline.
0: No, but yeah. I'm, I, we, me and Bucky were talking about this, uh, Joel. Curious because I, I just I look at that game last night and the combination of the size, speed of those two teams, and the depth in the trenches. And I look at that and say, man, all these teams that think they're right there, that we're this close, that had to be an eye opener and go, dude, we are not in the same planet as those two teams right now. Well,
6: i talked with the Ohio State folks about that uh, going back to last year and that championship game because they really felt like last year they had a chance. Now, granted, they had some COVID issues pop up right before the national championship game. That's unfortunate, certainly. But it wasn't close. No. Um, and and I think to your point, when you look at those semifinal games, they weren't even close.
2: Uh,
6: I mean, not even in the hemisphere and Georgia took Michigan's offensive line and manhandled them. Mm-hmm. And Cincinnati decided to die the slow death and then claimed that they went 12 rounds and just sat in their stack three, three, five and never gave their corner. Let the them chance. run it down their throats. Uh, the game plan for, for Cincinnati made me throw up in my mouth a little bit. Well, I'm, I tell you what, I like, I get tired like this and no, i watch out I'm like coaches better watch out because I'm coming after uh, you. that's great but so then last night really what did it come down to we can talk there I mean obviously it's a championship game there are are so many storylines but guys there was one team that was winning the line of scrimmage and one team that wasn't and mm-hmm. that's what made it so difficult on Alabama is that the they could not win the line of scrimmage. So from the very first series, everything was quick screens. They had a couple of nice series when they were going five free releases with their skill position players, and they would hit B-Rob, Brian Robinson on what looked like a check down, but he wasn't even checking in protection. He was just free release, and then they would dump it to him. And because you were getting some two-man and some some drop coverage from Georgia, they had some success doing that. Uh, But it wasn't like Bama was able to just line up and play football. You know, everything was quick, trying to get the ball out of their hands. Or it was, hey, Bryce, you're going to take one in the teeth. You need to stand in there and deliver a dime. And for the most part, he he was able to do that.
5: Yes. It's funny that you mentioned a couple of things that I thought about. One, I wondered what would Sarkeesian do against Georgia? And just in terms of the shift, the motion, the display that he put on last year in the national championship game, when you think about all the bills and whistles and how he basically created easy opportunities for Devante Smith to get open, I wondered what he would have done to just get the plays, the players and make the game easier for Bryce Young. I felt like that was a hard game from Bryce Young from the jump. It wasn't a lot of layups baked into um, the game plan. And then the other part is just the relentless effort and the speed of Georgia's front yeah. seven. I mean, both sides, but I don't look. I know Georgia been dominated, but they played so hard last night that I was like, my gosh! I don't know who would stack up and have a chance to beat a front line like this. What What were your thoughts on their front line?
6: Well, they've got. You guys know the old adage, and I I give these types of stupid cliches all the time when I'm doing games. But I'm like, hey, you got to run at speed, and you got to run away from power. Right? You guys have all heard that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a a go to. But well, what happens when you're looking at a defense that's more powerful than you and faster than you? It's mm-hmm. like, holy cow, I don't know what to do. That's what Michigan felt in the semifinal. And that's what Alabama ended up feeling last night. You can't just line up and run at them because guys like Jordan Davis are just too powerful. I mean, they've got – I was counting their depth chart. They've got like seven 300-pounders in their depth on the defensive line. I'm like mm-hmm. – I'm sorry, wait, what? Would we normally see maybe one 300-pounder as a nose guard, maybe. And then a bunch of guys that are 280, uh, 290, if if they're lucky. They've got seven 300-pounders. So you can't run at them. And then at the second level, I don't think that there is a faster second level, a more active second level than what they bring to the table with N'Kobe Dean. Um Listen, the Kobe Dean was all over, the, all over the place, and all of them run and tackle well in space, and that's a yes. rarity in college football. Yeah. So you can't run at them, and now you try to go side to side, and they just run you down and, and tackle you for two yards, and you're like, holy cow, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But to your point, that's not when you just clam up and you say, okay, well, we're just going to drop back and try to throw the ball down the field. I think that you've got to try to get creative. Use the speed against them. Use the fast flow against them. We didn't see misdirection from Alabama for the most part. We didn't see uh, a quality screen game. Uh, We saw a ton of two-man, two high safeties, man coverage underneath. Not one time did Bryce Young run the football. And a quarterback can run a defense out of two men faster than anybody because there's no man there for the quarterback. And they were rushing for it. It's not like they were dropping an end out and spying him. So there's a lot of things from that game plan uh, left to be desired from the Bama perspective. But that doesn't take away from the fact of what you're talking about and I'm talking about that defense. I honestly, I don't know what the, I don't know what you would do. You've got to be ultra talented. And once they lost Jamison, they they just didn't have it.
0: Yeah. So he had four catches for 65 yards. He barely played into the second quarter. Mm-hmm. He was on his way to having well over 200 yards receiving. A monster game. <laughs> 100%. He was have a huge game. And I don't think Georgia had any answer for him. And that's been why Alabama has been this new era, you know, those first couple national championships was more of the run game Alabama, the defense, Alabama, overwhelming you with that size and power. And then kind of the Sark era and kind of this these last few groups that they've had. yeah, there's a reason why they've had all these first these first round receivers, man, they're absolutely stacked. So you get some teams that might be able to. you see a Georgia every now and then maybe it's an LSU. some of these teams might be able to match up physically but then Alabama's like that's fine now we can just we're going to wear you out with just premier talent out here on the perimeter and once with Mechi gone and with Jamison Williams gone that was out of the, was out of the plan and i think you know you kind of look at the teams that have um you know been able to get by Alabama. That's what made this Georgia team kind of unique. Because you think about Burrow with Justin Jefferson and Jamar mm-hmm. Chase. You think about when Ole Miss would upset them back in the day. Mm-hmm. It was you know they're throwing it all over the place to all these big talented receivers. Well, I think it wasn't Treadwell part of the, that group. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. had you had that group, mm-hmm. and then uh and um, They had a they had a good group with Manziel running around making plays, but they were able to kind of get them on the perimeter. This was not. I mean, Pickens had unbelievable catch. But for the most part, I mean, this is a Georgia team that, you know, ran for a buck 40, won the line of scrimmage on both sides, and then Alabama didn't have the answer to that out on the perimeter in this game without those wideouts.
6: Yeah, and it just goes to show you um, the, the level that you have to recruit and what your roster has to be to go and beat Alabama. I've brought this up before, um, at least on social. The, since Nick won his first championship at Alabama, uh, so that's the Mark Ingram group with Greg McElroy. Um Every national champion since in college football, except for one, has had to, at some point, beat Alabama. You know, so, and that was Florida State. Uh, Jameis Winston's teams didn't uh, have to play Alabama, but they had to beat Auburn, which beat Alabama with a kick six game. So at some point, you know, to to your point, you've got to find a way to beat them. And you're not going to beat them without great players. And you can say like, well, Georgia didn't have a great quarterback. But when you look at their roster, and, mm-hmm. and you start like looking at the way they have recruited, let me give you a quick stat here. Mm-hmm. Just on their defensive alone, a uh, defense alone, and their de- defensive two d they had five players. Or excuse me, I'm sorry, nine players that were recruited as five star players. Mm-hmm. Nine. Do you know how many players are in the entire Pac-12 conference that were recruited as five-star players?
0: I'm going to go less than nine.
6: Nine. Wow. A- <laughs> like, so like, <laughs> yes, Georgia earned this on the recruiting trail and, and they didn't have the quarterback like a bro uh, to go out there and, and win a, a shoot out against Alabama or a Sean Watson or a Trevor Lawrence. Those are the quarterbacks. That have had to had to rise up and do it, but they had a dominant roster, in particular at the line of scrimmage. The other team that was able to take down Alabama in a big playoff-style format that didn't have a great quarterback was the Cardell Jones Ohio State team, yeah. and yet they were dominant at the line of scrimmage. You know, just kind of like this this uh, this Georgia team. Remember what Zeke did in that semifinal. Mm-hmm. And went
0: off. Michael Thomas helped too in that in that group. They had both though. They could line a scrimmage you and beat you outside. They could
6: pound you with with. And he went for over two hundred yards. And then they could sit there and Cardell just started launching those balls up. Remember in the Big Ten Big Ten championship game, Gus nicknamed him Twelve Gauge.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Stuck around. Go ahead, Buck. No, um.
5: So Joe, like, so now, like, let's broaden it out. The scope, because you talked about Georgia's recruiting. I heard your conversation with Mario Cristobal and those guys. So if we have that Alabama and Georgia are like out there on their own, who are the next three or four teams that are seriously going to be able to vie over the next five years for titles? Just in going around and seeing what you've seen, who are the teams that you say like, hey, keep an eye on these guys. They're coming. They're close.
6: I I think that there's only two. And I don't know how close they are, but if you're just going, are you saying just by recruiting,
5: just by recruiting, just by like, when you look at their oh, team, when you, when you do I've the, got I've, my I've got, I've got all, my two, I've got my two. I think
6: that that's, that's a really easy answer. It's only two. And, and I don't know how close, but it's A&M and Ohio state. Thank They're the only much. two teams that are recruiting at, at that. Not even Clemson is recruiting at oh. the level right now that, that Georgia and Alabama are, but A&M did it this year. Um, they're gonna have the number one class and and sign even, you know, statistically speaking, a better class than Alabama just did last year. Um, there's a oh guys, I'm telling you what, I know I'm not gonna throw it out there because I don't know what's legal and and illegal anymore (laughs) in the NIL, but XAM is using N I L Really well. Whether they're doing it as a program or the boosters are are well organized and good for them, right? Like, listen, I'm not saying that that's this this new era is is different. And the schools that figure this out, uh, the NIL issue, and and find a way to to load up in recruiting—that's the only way that you're going to start lining up and win a national championships. College football has created such a separation of haves and have nots. Uh, Because our structure in our sport is totally broken and we've got these leaders and uh, and listen, I know them and they're all well-meaning and they're all really smart guys. But these commissioners are hurting the sport right now because they can't get on the same page about an expanded playoff, which we desperately need so that we can have some semblance of a ladder where the middle class of college football can have the ability to get themselves to a place where they have success and can define themselves as successful. And we're arguing about automatic births and bowl games. I'm like, what are you guys doing right now? I'm telling you, I get bitter because they're arguing about things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things and will come out in the wash. And at the detriment of things that if they are perpetuated over the next two, three and four years, we're going to have such a separation like we've had over the last five years that I don't know if we'll ever come back from. It.
0: All right. La- last one from me, Joe. I-, I want to get to uh, this transfer portal. I know there's a long discussion about whether you like it, you don't like it. It's good. It's bad. Here's my here's my question just from, you know, take the analyst hat out and put your quarterback hat back on mm-hmm. locker room hat. How challenging is it going to be? We saw Michigan State pull it off, and you were around that team with so many new faces. Yeah. But to me, I think this is kind of the new – it's here. It's the new way. Uh, the challenge chemistry-wise of bringing in – I mean, not 25 new recruits. You're talking about some of these programs are going to have 40, 50 new players coming into their program via you know, the high school kids and the, and the portal kids. How do you get that group to come together chemistry-wise and yeah. and kind of ingrain into your culture when you got them coming in with so many new guys every year?
6: Yeah, I think you have to narrow your focus of who you're focused on within your program. Um, and, and this is not a good thing, but I think that this is the, the way that you have to go. So I'm a big believer in any group setting, but specifically in the locker room of kind of that 80-10-10 uh, theory of group dynamics, which is... The the theory goes like this. You've got 80% of people uh, in any group that are going to follow the most vocal 10%. And the two 10% are on each end of the spectrum. You've got 10% that are going to buy in and be quality leaders. And you've got 10% and, you know, forgive me for, but this is how we used to talk. you've got 10% that are turds. So you've got the leaders and you've got the turds, right? And you've got to figure out which 10% is going to win the 80. And that's every locker room in America, So rather than focusing on the 80, I think that you've got to focus on the 10 and make sure that you've got a core group of of foundational players that you recruited are not transfers that are going to be the rock and foundation and cornerstone of your locker room. And then once you get all these guys, so then let's say you've got freshmen and transfers and everything and they're in that 80%, well, they're gonna have, no other option other than to follow that 10%. So I think that from a coaching perspective, you've got to narrow your focus down on who are the foundational players within your system that buy into what you're selling and and can be positive influences within the locker room. Because if you don't have that 10%, your locker room is going to be totally chaotic.
5: You know, Joe, last thing about the transfer portal, what do we do now with all the high schoolers? Because every coach is now talking about grad transfers, the portal, and then the high schoolers are kind of like lumped in the back. What are we going to do about the high school guys and how is that going to impact the other teams that are not the elites? Whether those guys, those guys have to go somewhere, where are those guys going to end up?
6: Well, I don't know. Um, I think that that's, that remains to be seen. I personally believe, and I don't know if this fixes or, or even answers your question. Um, I'm a big believer that we need some structure as it relates to the calendar. Like, when are you signing transfer portal guys? When is that window? Because to me, that's like NFL free agency. Well, we've got a window in NFL free agency. And teams can have a, a picture of what their roster is going to look like before the draft. And then the draft would, in this um, analogy, be recruiting high school players. So I think that we need to separate rather than it just all overlapping. And it's just a big mess of like, well, who's, you know, and it's now it's trying to find a chair on the deck of the Titanic or, or a spot on one of the light boats. And you know, that there's not enough for everybody. So everyone's just running and trying to grab a seat. Um, I think that we need to really look and define the calendar of when is the portal open? When can portal players sign? And then when is recruiting open and when can recruits Signed, and i think what that will do is it will define rosters and allow for a better opportunity for coaching staffs to manage their rosters but to get back to your point i think that the biggest unintended consequence that we're seeing in the transfer portal is twofold a lack of opportunities for high school players because those spots are being taken up and then two what we're also seeing is that players think that there is opportunities in the transfer portal they give up a scholarship and never get one pack mm-hmm. because there's no spot for them. So mm-hmm. the, these are all problems that we've got to think about and, and talk about and try to fix. But I think one of the fixes will be a calendar fix, providing some structure to the offseason in college football that allows for a more cohesive and defined roster management period.
0: Yeah. The visual I have of that is, you know, if you look like at all the old, old movies you grew up watching and there would be like the train scene where you're on one train and you're trying to jump onto the other moving train, <laughs> like, if you're going to jump off your train. Make sure that you have another train to land on. Do not yes. jump off the train and hope that you're going to catch the next train that comes by. Cause there's no guarantees. And there's no way with the sheer numbers of guys that are in that portal. There's not enough spots for them, man. No. There's a bunch of those kids going to get that they're screwed. I feel terrible for them because they didn't, they didn't have a real opportunity in front of them and somebody, convince them whether it's family friends another coach but they they don't have something to go to and that's what's can can I let me just add
6: one one more thing if you if you don't mind I think what we're also going to see and and I would encourage players in high school to do this and I know it's tough because in the day and age of social media Mm -hmm. they are desperate to put on the hat be recruited Mm -hmm. hold how great they are but You know, a lot of times and we see Jordan Davis was a three star player at Georgia, you know, obviously the Stetson Bennett story has been being told uh, quite, quite well now. It doesn't really matter where you start. It matters where you finish Mm -hmm. in this whole game. So I would go where the opportunity lies. You know, if you if you have to go to a Mac school with your eye on the fact that like, hey, I've got this one time transfer in my pocket, I can stay and be Khalil Mack. Or I can, you know, increase my stock from what it is right now and then go finish at wherever, you know, wherever it is. I can go into the Pac-12 or the Big Ten and and, and do it that way. So I think that, that these players in high school need to not put all their chips in. Who are they being recruited by and who are they signing with? At, at some point, these guys are going to have to, put their egos aside and just go bet on themselves, find an opportunity and go play. Cause people are going to find you. If you can play, you guys know this. And we talk about it. In Absolutely. This if you can play, someone will find you. Yeah. It's just, that's, that's the nature of this. This is too big of a business now in the NFL and in college. If you can play, you will be found and you will be given opportunities.
0: Yeah. Let me, uh, let me give you an example of that real quick here. Here's, here's my, uh, Kind of as I've gone through the offensive line in this draft, here's some guys that I have top 50 grades on in this class. I've got Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. I've got Bernard Raymond from Central from Central Michigan. Um, there's one from Southern Utah that's outside my top 50, but he's probably going to go in the fourth or fifth round. I mean, you find these guys everywhere, man. Well, like, I mean, gonna I mean we from- might have one at quarterback position. I mean, we're going to be talking about Malik Willis at yeah, Liberty.
6: Liberty. Uh, and, so, yeah. you know, we'll we'll see what. And shoot, I mean, Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, A mid major as well, so um, we'll see. No,
0: by the the way, by the way, phenomenal job by your dry cleaner. That is a firmly pressed uh, shirt to be rocking right there. It is, it It is. is It's not gene material either. It looks like it might be a gene material,
6: but it's not. It's just a a blue.
0: Golly, you can't hide money with a watch either. Jeez, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) American made, man. Shinola. Look at that. Look (laughs) at that. Like this isn't even complimentary. Did they give you that with your golf club membership or was that separate? That was separate. Separate. Okay.
6: Okay, good. I don't know how many – like the the club is open this morning and they keep being like, hey, day after the championship game, you got to go do some hits in the studio. I'm like, it's – it's the off season. This is a golf day. Oh, cool.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, hardest working man in show business right there. Uh, Joel, you're the best, pal. Look forward to catching up soon. We'll get into some of these draft guys next time we visit.
6: Yeah, I can't wait. I think this is going to be an interesting draft. For, for, for real, for like football people that don't want to just talk about two quarterbacks, this is a great draft because there's a ton of storylines, wide receivers. I think the running back group, the edge rusher group, the quarterbacks are their own story, like – I can't wait to get in, into it with you guys. And uh, hopefully, we can do this a few times talking about yeah. these prospects.
0: Yeah, it's a working man's draft, much like yeah. Bucky myself, not that mahogany bookshelf, expensive watch <laughs> press shirt wearing Joel Platt. That's right. That's right. Look at that Buffalo, that paint. That's here, an original. That's an original here back here. there. I got something
6: for you. Are you ready? For okay.
0: this? Yeah. Idaho Falls. Oh, public. now we're talking, baby. <laughs> see, Buck, see, Buck? That's why me and Joel get along. That's oh why we get God. along. Just, he, it, but just don't tell them who you really root for, Joel, because that broke my heart. I thought me and Clatt were going to have this connection. He played for the Padres, come up to their system. I'm a lifelong Padre fan. The former be, quarterback angle, to we're together. He's a stinking Red Sox fan of all well, things. Well, I've been, been a Red Sox, Sox fan Red Sox my whole life. And the Padres were like, it didn't hey, work hey, out. Hey, 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 no hard feelings, pal. You, you weren't good enough. You know, that's, <laughs> it. that's okay. True. Uh, it's Sorry, true. It's um, true. Tell Cowherd we said hello, would you? It's what, what's the line? It's better to be a has been than a never, never was. was. Yep. Yeah, that's there's something to be said there. Something to be said. <laughs> hey, you take pride in that, pal. Put that on your gravestone.
6: <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll have it. I'll have it up next time. Right here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're the best, man. See you, all. Later,
6: guys. Have a good one. Thanks. Right, see you, bud.
0: You go into your shower feeling great to catch up with joel buck i mean just uh he's a great dude you could tell he, he gets uh he can get a little bit ornery though when he's when he's watching the game when he's not on uh, not on the game call
5: a little feisty a little feisty yeah, little a little spicy. yeah he he had it no i was it?
0: on this thing with him last night i didn't so
5: not like, so he was on with uh kevin Thibodeau and tj hushman zada they were present the majority of the time i kind of headed on It's like second screen companion. So I'm watching the game, but I got them on. And then he had Mario Cristobal pop in. And I wanted to hear Cristobal because I had a chance to look at the interviews and hear the reasoning behind why he went to Miami and Oregon and those things or whatever. Um, And so it was great. But no, it it was a great great watch and it was a great listen. And then Joel, I think, has a unique perspective uh, because he is on the number one team. He does number one broadcast team. He does see all of these top players and top teams. And so being able to talk about that while also giving a little insight in terms of how he thinks these guys would be projected at the next level. Um, it was good to hear. And he obviously brought that down in the interview we had. Yeah, no doubt.
0: That uh, was a fun, uh, fun conversation with him. And again, a fun game. I don't know about you, but I mean, for me, Buck, especially with kind of the Chargers season coming to a close, we've got our Amazon game this weekend, which is going to be the Cowboys and the Niners. You can find us, hang out with uh, Bucky, Joy, Taylor, myself. Uh, that is uh Sunday afternoon, I believe. What is that, 4.30 uh, East Coast or 4.30 West Coast, I think?
5: 4.30 East Coast, one thirty our time, Pacific. Okay,
0: okay. it's the um, afternoon game.
5: Afternoon game because the Chiefs and the Steelers are the night game on NBC. Okay. So we get a chance to be in the middle of the afternoon.
0: Yeah, that's going to be fun. So you can hang out with us then. But what I'm getting at is kind of with some of the responsibilities and duties kind of going by the wayside, it's like, man, okay, it's draft time. It's time to uh, to really crank and, and get rolling on these dudes, which is fun.
5: Yeah, no, it is a lot of fun. And you're right. Um, it's time to turn the page and kind of begin to think about, like, the draft, uh, who's who and what's, what's what. We, we, we understand and we have a general understanding of who is going to be in the draft. But now it's about, as we talk about, like, hey, let's get them in the neighborhood. Yeah, we eventually begin to get them in the, in the right house and do those things, and so we have a a few months to kind of get that process done.
0: No doubt, I I think uh, I've got a mock draft coming out in the next couple of weeks, so that'll that'll kind of crank that up. So that's it's right here, man. All star season is upon us. I did see the Jets and the Lions are going to be coaching the Reese's Senior Bowl, which would be great. Um, see those guys down there. What an opportunity, man. When you kind of read up on that of the teams that have coached in that game and you see, you know, the Rams, you know, coaching a Cooper Cup, you see the 49ers mm-hmm. having a chance to coach a Debo Samuel, and you end up getting steals because you really get to know these kids.
5: We got to stay in tail. Uh, DJ, the toughest thing in the draft process is not evaluating the tape, but it's figuring out the football character. Yep. Well, you give me a full week to um, coach a guy, have him in meetings, be around him away from the football part of it. Yeah, have a stronger sense on who he is and what we potentially are bringing into the locker room. So it it makes sense when we see these teams eventually draft guys that were in the game because they've been around them enough to do that. So, yes, a terrific opportunity for the Lions and the Jets to get a step ahead on the competition.
0: Yep, no doubt. Well, those uh, those games are right around the corner. East West is uh, is on the way as well. So looking forward to those. Um, That's going to do it for us. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here, Buck? No, man, it's it's time.
5: This, this weekend is going to be great. Uh, the playoffs yeah. are a different animal. And so now that we have uh, eliminated all the other stuff and we can focus in a game at a time, too, that's the other thing. We get to watch one game at a time without having to flip the channels and all that other stuff. Should be a ton of fun.
0: Yeah, we're going to uh, look at those games on the next episode here. So Thursday, we will have a kind of a preview, a move to six preview of all these NFL matchups. As the playoffs get cranking this weekend, cannot wait for that. Appreciate you guys hanging with us. Again, encourage you to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you could. Uh, We appreciate those. Thanks to Nabil for doing a wonderful job producing and our pal David Singer for getting us the great guests, including uh, our good friend, Uh, I almost said Jim Nagy, Joel Klatt. Uh, I got senior bowl in my mind. Uh, Thanks again to Joel for joining us. All right, we'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks.
1: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, Owen oh, Two Door Cinema
2: Club.